Welcome into Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Joe Girard. Say hi, Joseph. What up? What up? What up? What up? Uh, by the way, great shirt today. Thank you. Big fan. Uh, last week, we talked about in our do-good to actually call your congressman, congresswoman. And Indeed. today, Craig has the shirt to actually do such things. So with the with the number on there. So big ups. Big this boy. is a podcast as I do my Havana White across my own chest. Uh, 202-224-3121. Call your congressperson. Shout out Crooked Media for the shirt. Uh, I don't know why I gave them a free shout out. I did buy it. It's not like they gave it to me. But uh, <laughs> they're the ones free who plug. make it. Uh, 202-224-3121. Call your congressperson. Uh, coming up later in the show, sports, NBA playoffs, NFL's a week away. Uh, also, the Brooklyn Nets hired Steve Nash to be their head coach. So that's fun. Didn't even have that in cool. the show note. Just adding that late as we just spent 20 minutes going over what we're going to talk about. Now I'm adding stuff. Uh, we will start, though, as we always do, with important and interesting, Joe. And uh, we actually have a, a couple of things I want to run through and, and that we want to run through here. But the biggest thing is that the president of the United States uh, went to Kenosha, Wisconsin this week. And we talked a little bit about what's going on in Kenosha last week after the police uh, shooting of Jacob Blake. Uh, who is still in a hospital in serious condition uh, in in Wisconsin, uh, paralyzed, unclear whether he'll ever get the use of his legs back. Obviously, then the 17-year-old Trump supporter, vigilante, and and I actually really liked, I don't know, did you see Trevor Noah talking about this? Yeah, I I caught some of his highlights. Um, I love his takes, by the way. He's so smart and so witty. Um, so yeah, I, I thought he had a nice take on that. Yeah. I, I recommend checking out the full segment he did, but one of the things he said in there is like, let's call it what it is. Let's, let's stop calling these people vigilantes cause they're white. These are, these are mobsters. Like when you are, you show up with an automatic weapon, a long gun across state lines, you're a mobster. So 17 year old wannabe gang member mobster kid, uh, who's now a hero of the right. Uh, he, he shoots and kills two people, injures a third. Um, all that happens in Kenosha. And Trump decides, I'm going to go to Kenosha to survey the damage and survey uh, what, what went wrong and, and meet with you know, law enforcement. And the mayor of Kenosha, the governor of Wisconsin, they're like, please don't. Please do not come. Not only because the fear of creating and stoking more division, which is what Trump does wherever he goes. But there's an actual pragmatic argument of you've got all this stuff going on. And when a president visits somewhere, there's a certain amount of resources that go into that. Um, And so all of a sudden these police and law enforcement and, and all this kind of stuff has to be dedicated to protecting the president because he's coming to Kenosha. So he comes anyway uh, and while he's there, Joe, he does not, he's asked straight up. Actually, I think this happened before. He's asked straight up, do you condemn Kyle Rittenhouse, the shooter, the 17-year-old, and what he did? And he's like, no. Looked like he was in real trouble. It was self-defense. Which is, let me uh, let me pick out this phrasing very carefully. Bullshit. Yeah, that was an interesting choice of words that our president used. Let me ask you this. He also went to some of the store owners, mm-hmm. and, and some of the store owners came fr- uh, up front. He had conversations with uh, our president. Did you catch any of what they were saying, uh, any of their dialogue, and if, if they were supporting Trump or if they were supporting kind of the movement? I heard at all? I heard some of both. Um, I, I was listening to some— I was listening to Up First from NPR every morning, news news podcast, kind of gives you your 15 minutes to start the day. And, you know, they had some of both. Some people that were like, yeah, you know, if, if people, if police would stop killing black people, we wouldn't have this in the first place. Um, and other people that are like, yeah, the, the rioting is ridiculous. And, you know, I think there's been some really, really great takes on riots and, and when it escalates specifically beyond peaceful protest to riot and the social contract. And like, look, if you're going to, if, if, you're going to kill us, then why should we respect your stuff? Like, and I think that's fair, honestly. Um, but also like are, in the end are the riots help do, do when it escalates to riot, like, does that help? No, but I, I'm, I always will choose not to focus on that 
because that's a symptom. And I think that we need to focus on the disease. The disease that we're talking about here is the consistent murder of black people. It happened here. It happened in DC last night. There's an 18 year old kid who got shot dead by police last night. And the details are still coming out and exactly what happened. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's happening every day. There's the, like, you would think during COVID Joe, that, uh, the number of people killed by police would have dropped dramatically. Cause like, we're not outside. It hasn't, it stayed the same. Like wow. there's an epidemic of American citizens being killed by the people sworn to protect them. It happens to black people and brown people uh, in minority communities at a higher rate than it does to white people. And if we would focus on fixing that, there wouldn't be anything to protest over. And then there wouldn't be anything to riot over. And so if we would Mm -hmm. focus on the, I will always focus on the disease, not the symptom. And obviously there are a lot of other people that think about it in in the opposite way. That's interesting. I did not hear about the DC, uh, uh, situation that must have just came out. I wonder if that will turn into something. Yeah, it happened. It happened. Um, la- literally, we're recording this on Thursday, as we typically do. Um, and so that happened last night, Wednesday night. Eighteen-year-old wow. kid. Um, eighteen. Wow. I mean, obviously, no, no information has come forward about it. We don't know the situation. We don't know the scenarios, obviously. But but it's like yeah, here's here's the thing. You know, we say that, and it feels like the right thing to say. And like we've been trained, and we had this amazing conversation with Hub Brown last week about how we talk about this stuff journalistically. And how, you know, even, you know, like the radio that you did wasn't (laughs) journalism, you know, in top 40 radio, but like just the way you talk about that stuff in general in media, like the question that I always will go back to, and and I I took this from DeRay McKesson, um, who is an activist. And um, I heard him talk about this on Bill Simmons podcast, but I've heard him mention this elsewhere too, co-founder of Campaign Zero. And he goes, what would be the thing? Like think think of the person you love the most. So especially if you're talking to parents, like, hey, if you if it was your kid, what's the thing they would have had to have done where you go, yeah, I'm okay with the police shooting them and killing them. Right. There is, there is none. none. You go, I would love for you to exhaust every single thing that you could have done besides shooting them dead or shooting them at all before you get to the point where you kill them. Isn't there any kind of way to resolve this conflict in another way? And so if we think about it that way, as opposed to like, oh, well, maybe the kid did something wrong. Maybe he didn't comply with orders. Maybe he, even if he was armed, it would be great if we could not have people die at the end of these things. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's what they're saying about Jacob, too, is that, uh, you know, yes, he was unarmed, but, oh, he was going in his car to get a knife. That's what people assumed. I mean, that that's kind of the rhetoric. We don't know that for sure. Um, right. And a lot of that stuff so, is being put out by the police union, which should not be trusted at all. Yeah. And, and like, um, that literally, by the any... way, Joe, that literally is the line, well, he brought a knife to a gunfight. And what happens to the guy who brings a knife in a gunfight? He's the one that's like, <laughs> okay. Like, when that becomes real, and then the people with the guns have the arms, uh, have, have the power of the state behind them, like, that's... That's not okay. We have a criminal justice system. It's broken in a lot of ways, but even the death penalty is not carried out. Like crimes we consider, uh, you know, worthy of the death penalty in the states that legally still have the death penalty. And there's, you know, worthy is doing a lot of work there. But even death penalty crimes, you're not executed by police firing squad before your trial. So mm. the, the police's job is not to kill you. It's, it's to, to bring you in so that you can go through the criminal justice system. Yeah, and yeah. I just I refuse to ever, see that see that ground. No, I understand. No, for sure. Remember the old saying, "An eye for an eye." Yeah, like you, I mean, that obviously doesn't stand true nowadays. But that was sort of like, you know, back hundreds of years ago, how we kind of handled justice. Right, and like it's um, what we point to to say, like, oh yeah, the savage way to do it. Like we're we're civilized society. We're not savages. I mean, sometimes, yeah. but the whole we we don't strive to by design be savages. Yeah, although that's what we've been seeing. That's what's been showing up yeah. the past, you know, few years, I would say, easily. 100%. Um, so, yeah, no, it's interesting. Did you catch Joe Biden showing up at Kenosha? Yeah, and I wanted to bring up a point. Um, I was just before we uh, we got started this morning, I was listening to Jason Kander's podcast, uh, Majority 54, and he brought this up. So uh, I only say that to, to say that I'm not stealing. I'm echoing what I thought was a fantastic point. Um, and that is, so when Biden goes to Kenosha, he meets with community leaders. 
When Trump goes, he's going to survey damage and meet with law enforcement. So both of those men know cameras are following them. And so it's what are they putting on TV? Not just what are they trying to accomplish? What, what, are, their, what are your values? Biden, people. I need to be in the community. Trump, buildings. There's a huge difference there. But it's also, okay, when these cameras follow me, what are they going to see? When they follow Trump, it's damage. Because he has decided that chaos and violence are good for him politically, which is super fucked up. Biden is like, I want to show community. I want to show these people talking to each other. I want to show these people trying to heal. And that should tell you something about the messaging and what they're trying to get across. And thus, it should tell you something about their values. Right. That's And obviously, there's two clear, clearly two separate messages in our presidential election here, less than uh, you know, sixty days away, uh, is that you're absolutely right, and that's and that's a lot of Trump's base, though, is that sort of rhetoric, that sort of message, where Biden is con- more communal. You know, he kind of wants everyone together. You know, come together for this, and let's let's figure out this problem. Even with COVID, like we're still in it heavily, and we still don't have really a plan to kind of execute how we're going to get over this thing. Trump wants nothing to do with it. Although I heard last night that there could be a vaccine coming uh, literally November 1st, days away from the election, which I found was really interesting. Uh, Yeah, interesting is one word for it. Insane is another. Um, It's to the point where I saw some pretty prominent scientists the other day write a New York Times op-ed saying you can't trust the CDC, which I never thought we'd get to. Um, but like right now, Trump, I mean, Trump already changed the testing rules because again, he's what he thinks is better for him politically. Like, and some the people, the institutions are not holding up the way that we, we thought, which is probably a, a conversation for a different show. Cause we could be on that for an hour, but like Trump's ability to bend the institutions and the norms and, and all these things to his will is, is pretty astonishing. And it's, it's a, it's authoritarianism is what it is. It's an attempt at it uh, within what we thought was a pretty strong democracy. Um, but another thing I just wanted to bring up real quick before we go on to our next story is, you know, when you talk about those two pictures that are being painted, I think Democrats need to lean in a little bit more to some of that stuff where it's like, you know, Joe Biden wants to defund the police. And it's like, one, Biden does not, he has not come out in favor of defund the police, but like the people who are in favor of defund the police, I, I, I would like to highlight a story from Rochester, New York. Um, uh, I want to make sure I get the names right here. Um, Joe and Daniel are the two first names, uh, the two brothers. I think Prude is the, the, the last name. Um, and I apologize if I have that last name wrong. So what happened was this happened back in March, but it, it's come up now um, that some video has come out. And Joe, the brother, called Rochester police because his brother, who is, has mental illness, was behaving erratically. So police show up, and he is behaving erratically. He starts spitting on them, like, behavior that's not acceptable, but is perfectly explainable because he's having a mental episode. Like, he's having a, a, an issue with his mental illness in that moment. And that's why his brother called for help. Well, police put a bag over his head, and he winds up suffocating and dying. So when we talk about defunding police, what would happen is instead of calling police in that, there would have been money put into social workers and a mental health expert would have showed up and he would be alive. And so, mm. you know, when we talk about some of the, like what, what I think is kind of crazy in some of this, these ads and some of the messaging from the Trump campaign is if you just change the, the visuals to not have cities on fire in every fucking ad and you change the music from like this terror, like bad, bad horror movie preview to something a little more uplifting, but literally didn't change the words. They turn into Biden ads. They turn into ads for Democrats because, yeah, you want a safer community that has less violence in policing. You want Medicare for everybody or, or health care for everybody. Like the things that like it has actually become clear from a policy standpoint how diametrically opposed the two candidates are and so what 
Trump is trying to use as a tax, I think Biden needs to lean into and actually explain, hey, this is a good thing. I think that'd be an effective political strategy to de-weaponize some of the things that that are currently being used as attack ads because, yeah, they're actually true, quote-unquote, attacks, but they're not attacks at all. It's actually a proposal of what would be a better America. Do you think these ads are effective when you see them on television or you hear them on the radio? Yes. Because there's a lot of them, Uh, and there's all different types of messages. Yes, because people are not as informed as they should be, and they play on emotion, and people make emotional decisions. And so if Trump's goal is to scare specifically white people, he's very good at it. And they're over the top, and they're ridiculous. And if you know better, they're actually hysterical. They're like, funny how bad these ads are. But most people don't know. And that's why I think Biden de-weaponizing them and pointing out the absurdity is is actually important. All right, Joe, you uh, you flagged this one. Um, I like this story a lot. I, I heard about this uh, actually on Up First as well, but you want to talk about it. Um, Russian trolls are targeting the 2020 election, but they're doing this in a way that is not, uh, is not the way that I, I think people would expect. Well, I mean, yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting. So that is exactly what's happening. These Russian trolls are targeting our election here in, in a few months. So Facebook and Twitter removed accounts related to this fake news site created by a apparently a Kremlin-backed group. Uh, a, a disinformation expert says it looks like the operation wanted uh, to divide Democratic voters. Um so, I mean, we always hear rumblings of about these uh, these trolls, uh, specifically in Russia, uh, getting involved with our election. And here we are. Um, you know, this is could be a real thing. Um, so and kudos to Facebook and Twitter seeing this finally jumping in finally. Right. Getting involved uh, and removing these accounts. So we are. That is a good thing. Yeah, for sure. And. What I find interesting about this is it's going to take discipline on the left because instead of trying to increase turnout on their own side, uh, which, again, shared side between Trump and Russia, Team team Trump-Russia, let's just let that soak in for a second. Yes, we are here to support the Donald. Uh they are trying to now suppress the vote on the left. And th- there's a million ways in which uh, that has been happening for Republicans forever. Uh, but now the Russians have taken their interference down that track in a different way, which is to make progressives unhappy with the Biden-Harris campaign and hope that their enthusiasm comes down and that translates into less votes. And what it's going to take is discipline on the left that no matter whether it's Russian propaganda, bullshit, or real actual criticism of Joe Biden to to go further left, to be more progressive in his policy, to think bigger in some of the ways he's acting, to go, yeah, we'll figure that out later. Like, we're, we can do two things at once. We can push him farther left and still emphatically say he's the person we're voting for and to not dampen enthusiasm and to make sure that, that, is, that you're doing... If you're going to pick one, do the do the thing that's going to encourage him winning. And if you're going to try to do both, do it in a way that does not discourage him from winning. That's a really important balance that has to happen because the, these people that are like, oh, actually, you know, Biden winning's the worst because then people will be satisfied and, you know, we need to blow up the whole thing. We're not going to have another election. Like, Trump is trying to be an authoritarian. If it is up to him, Ivanka will be the next president after him. <laughs> and then I don't know what he thinks of Barron or whether he prefers one of Ivanka's kids. And like the, there will be a literal Trump dynasty and everything will be gold plated and all the poor people will, will go away. So like unless you want that, if you want the opportunity to vote for a more progressive person down the road, then you need to vote for Biden. Like, don't don't overthink this and and don't let your dissatisfaction with where Biden is currently dissuade you from voting. I, I, I know I'm being long winded here, but I actually this is my favorite analogy I've heard about it. Have you seen the public transport uh, meme about voting? No. So basically, like voting is not like a relationship. You're not marrying the person. It's like public transportation. 
if you don't have a car, you don't have a way to get there, you pick the best bus. You don't go like, oh, that bus isn't going to the exact place that I want or that that subway, that train is not going to the exact place I need. You get as close as you can and then you walk the rest of the way or you take a cab or, or whatever. You pick up the next bus. You pick the best route available. So get on the Biden bus, get as close to what you want because the Trump bus is on fire going the wrong way and is headed off a fucking cliff. Uh, one more story and important and interesting, Joe. TikTok. Give us the TikTok on the TikTok sale. <laughs> so this TikTok sale, uh, much a buzz about what's happening here. Basically, TikTok, a massive app, uh, a creative app that that people f- originally targeted for for young teenagers. I would say originally, you know, uh, thirteen to seventeen, thirteen to eighteen. Now has jumped to uh, uh, human adults getting into TikTok, getting creative, making musical videos. Human adults, old. what a phrase! <laughs> Find little creative ways to express themselves. So basically, it's a company that. Uh, uh, happened created in china and the trump administration wants nothing to do with that because they're afraid and i don't know if this is even real or not that that china's taking the information uh of of those who use tiktok and using it for their own doing uh our all our personal information basically in a nutshell that's that's the problem uh whether or not that's actually happening i don't really know so anyway trump is making uh making them sell TikTok, essentially. So big companies like Microsoft, uh, big companies like Oracle. Uh, I've heard Walmart is into the mix now. Um, uh, they might be. There might be a Microsoft slash Walmart deal on this. By hell, the way, I, Walmart kind of fits TikTok because there's a little bit of everything on there. No, I agree. I, it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, so it, it could be. Apparently, the deal is just about done. And it could be. Uh, I'm hearing that Microsoft and Walmart are the front runners um, to take over the app and for for it to have be officially a U.S. company. Um, so that's very interesting. By the way, this thing's valued at billions, so the the sale yeah. is going to be big. Um, so it's all very interesting. But I, I I find it very. I don't know if it's even legal. Can you make someone sell your company? I don't know. Right. That's the huge like kind of controversy here. Is like. In theory, it's good that the government can come in and be like, yeah, um, that company is stealing everybody's information, like, that's especially from an international company and especially an adversary like China. Like, that's, you can't do that. You're going to you're gonna have to be American-based so we can regulate you better. But there's also the, like, it's the same thing as, like, in theory, it'd be a great idea to have a government agency that says like oh this is news this is not news like so something that is considered neutral like responsible some agency nonpartisan has some barriers set up to say like all right this is worth trusting this is not this gets certain protections this does not and maybe then like something like fox news would be shoved in a different corner because it doesn't pass like the the guidelines for journalism or whatever but the problem with those kinds of things is like when you get someone you don't disagree with in power, are they going to abuse that in a way that you don't like? And so like in theory, I like the idea that the government can do this, but like you see someone like Trump and you're like, I don't want to trust that guy to make that decision. So I don't honestly, man, I don't know how I feel about this. I think it's pretty weird. I think that obviously there's real concerns and it just is another like thing where it'd be great if we could trust the government and we can't, but um, TikTok itself is great. I've gotten lost on there for hours before. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you definitely get sucked into the TikTok. Their algorithm uh, is A+. It's incredible. Uh, I don't do a ton on TikTok, but I do enjoy watching uh, the creativity on there. Um, and by the way, and, and so I don't know if you've noticed, but Instagram is starting to, to started to do their own version with Reels. Yeah. Um, their creative way of, of doing similar type of content like TikTok. So we'll see how that, so far, I mean, it looks great so far. It's, I think it's going pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's, I think it's so funny that Zuckerberg who owns Instagram, uh, as well as Facebook and others, um, you know, he sees an app doing so well and then he's like, wait a minute, I can do that too. And I, I find that. Yep. Uh, it's they killed Vine that way with Instagram stories. They they're gonna kill TikTok with reels. It's the same yeah. same thing. And it's Snapchat. 
Yeah, Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat. Great example. Same thing. Um, yeah, with the stories. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. Welcome to my lawn this week. Hey, welcome to my lawn. Uh, I saw this meme that I wanted to to run through real quick um, because I think it's interesting and and we'll we'll be kind of short here because I I made this point on some level already earlier, but it says voters, if your skin is not white, your parents need medical care, your spouse is an immigrant, your land is on fire, your child is transgender, your house is flooded, your sister is a victim of gun violence, your brother is gay, your water is unsafe because privilege has no place in an election, but empathy does. My first thought when I read that was like, hmm. That's a pretty damn good way to, to think about it. And, and I, the idea of empathy, obviously, this will shock you, Joe. Thumbs up on that. Mm. Chasing interesting. Right. We, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. Big fans of empathy on this podcast. Yeah. We, like, we, that's, that's the truth. Like that's empathy. our log line. You know what I mean? That's, that's, we're, we're about that. Yeah, for sure. So we absolutely should, and, and I put this on Instagram uh, and you can follow me. We don't plug our social media enough, Joe. I'm at Craig oh, underscore at Hoffman on, on the IG. Where where are you? I am at Joey Gerard. So that's a good call. Yeah, and, and same for Twitter, by the way. My IG and Twitter are the same. I just have my name on Twitter. No no underscore. Someone has the the no underscore version on IG. Anyway, my, my first thought when I read that was like, yes, absolutely. We should be looking out for marginalized communities and always ask ourselves if the policies and the way we are acting in general as humans is negatively affecting those less fortunate and privileged than us. Empathy is good. But when we're talking about elections specifically, and we're talking about these big policy ideas, it's okay to be selfish because the chances are those policies are going to help you too. And I just think that gets lost sometimes. It's always like, we have to do it for insert marginalized group here. It's like, no, you want to what you, you want to right now has health insurance because of the Affordable Care Act? Me. You want to know who's, you know, going to benefit more from government programs than I am from billionaires getting tax cuts? Like me and all of you listening. Like pretty much unless you're a billionaire who's trying to get away with white collar crime. Or you're an oil, you work for like an oil and gas company. Democratic policies are going to be better for you than Republican policies. And it's kind of crazy. And this is the part I touched on earlier is like Democrats, Democratic policies poll at a much higher rate than Democratic politicians, which is a gap that needs to be closed. And it's in part because Republicans have been able to successfully change the messaging and turn them into attacks. But like that's why I just hope that people are consistently continuing to learn about the things that are being talked about, going beyond the personality stuff and go beyond the headlines. Because it once you start to dive into this stuff, not only are those of us who are quote unquote in the fight fighting for others, we're also fighting for ourselves, and that's okay too. Yeah, no, that's there's nothing wrong with that. By the way, that's the point of democracy is to vote and to help others but also ourselves like we have to it's okay to do that and it's not selfish right it's okay to want things for yourself yeah it is and what i just i hope that the dots connect that the things that are good for marginalized communities are typically going to be good for not as marginalized communities and the only people they're going to be quote-unquote bad for are people that they got they got plenty. Like we don't need to be we don't need to be sad for Jeff Bezos if he's going to get taxed to craziness so that not only do people not have to live without food or without shelter or whatever because there's there's money now for government assistance for those kinds of things, but also the same set of policies should raise wages and that's good for those of us closer to the middle class who would like to see our rage, wages raised for the first time in 40 years. <laughs> it sounds silly, but yes. You know, it would be nice to see our income go up and not because of just inflation, but because we're actually, you know, earning more. Man, that manager knowledge you have, next level. <laughs> the f- this week, soup. Then they have cans of soup. Soup. And they throw the cans of soup. That's better than a brick because you can't throw a brick. It's too heavy. But a can of soup, you can really put some power into that, right? Yes, sir. And then when they get caught, they say, no, this is soup for my family. They're so innocent. This is soup for my family. 
it's incredible. And you have people coming over with bags of soup, big bags of soup, and they lay it on the ground and the anarchists take it and they start throwing it at our cops, at our police. And if it hits you, that's worse than a brick because it's got force. It's the perfect size. It's like made perfect. And when they get caught, they say, no, this is just soup for my family. And then the media says, this is just soup. These people are very, very innocent. I mean, seriously, where do you find this stuff? That can't be real. Did you edit that? Nope. Because that is not real. Or is it? Cans of soup. Nope. <laughs> no. Nope. 100%. You know my favorite part? There's some donk in the middle that is like, yes, sir. Listen, listen closely on this one. You can really put some power into that, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Who is that guy? Get him I on the show. What this sounds like, though, Joe, it's like it's like a comedy waiting to happen. Like right now, it's too scary to be funny. But coming soon to NBC this fall, The Trump Show. It's authoritarian light, starring Donald Trump and the idiots who are stupid enough to work for him. They want to take over the world but they can't stop tripping over their own dicks. <laughs> and now, sports. Uh, incredible Game 7s uh, the last couple nights in the NBA, Joe. And yeah. officiating, unfortunately, has kind of stolen the spotlight. What did, what did you make of the calls uh, at the end of these games, and, and especially, obviously, last night uh, with Rockets Thunder, the two back-to-back calls at the end of that, and actually last night, both games, the game two of the Milwaukee-Miami uh, series was trash officiating, in my opinion. But you have uh, game seven last night, the the crazy finish as well. Like, wh- what did you just make of all of that being in the spotlight and and also, you know, the just drunk-ass, wild game seven between the Rockets and the Thunder? I thought that whole, by the way, that entire series was so fun to watch. That was a great series, I thought. Probably my favorite series so far. Um, I thought Harden at the end showed up. I thought Harden played incredible uh, last night in Game 7. The officiating, I, I I agree, it got a little wanky there. I mean, what do you do? I mean, you just let him play? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, Chris Paul, of course, what what his moves. Flopping he all goes, over the place. Harden's yeah. flopping all over the place. <laughs> Like, I guess that's what you do is, like, if, if guys are going to flop like that, I guess you do just swallow this. Like, if you guys want to fall down, fall down. I'm not giving it to you. I'd rather see that mm. than what happened in the other game. Right. Um, so, very interesting. I, how it's going to move forward, you know, with the semifinals will be interesting. I think it'll be different. I think, you know, refs will they'll be having a talk with everybody and to say, all right, let's, let's, let's let these guys do what they do. Let them play. Yeah, you know what I mean? For sure. The end of that, um, that Miami-Milwaukee game is, you know, the game ends literally with a guy on a free throw line. I'd, I'd like it to be more of a foul than, uh, oh, I put my hand on his back, uh, barely. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that was terrible. The the first call on Dragic was terrible that sent Middleton to the line. Um, I just, I hate that. I, 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 you know, I think it's interesting you say Harden played great because I've, in his own words, offensively, I played like shit. But to, to come up with that block is really sensational it was so clean it's such a great defensive play and then kind of the underrated part of that he jumps like Lou Dort tries for some reason known only to Lou Dort who was literally out of his mind had 30 points in a playoff game a guy that was in the G League earlier this year in game seven he's got 30 and is doing a ridiculous job on Harden when he comes down and catches that ball um, tries to throw it off of Harden. Now, I guess in the end, it wouldn't matter because they, they said that Dort was out of bounds already. But man, like Harden in that moment to come up with that play, to have that energy at the end of a long series, like that's yeah. that's big time stuff from him. And, you know, I'm not a James Harden fan at all. I hope they get swept against the Lakers, if I'm being completely honest, because I hate watching them play. But like respect to Harden in that moment for making that play for sure. And then you had the game seven, by the way, the night before, um, Denver and Utah, which was terrible first half and then utah really turns it on in the second half defensively they had this stretch where they're 14 to 16 uh, possessions they get stops mitchell starts going nuts and then conley winds up missing the three at the buzzer it rims out when mitchell's wide open on the other side because denver for some reason after making a great defensive play 
they go and try to convert a layup when all they had to do was dribble out the clock. And it's just like, it is amazing to me, Joe, that in these biggest moments, game seven, your season is on the line. The best players in the world still make mistakes that children make. Yeah. No, I know. I love I, I love to watch Connolly play, by the way. I've met him. I, I did a piece with him, actually. I, I was in Memphis when he was in Memphis. Uh, it was for a show, Game Changers, and I was uh, a field producer for the show, and we did a bunch of stuff with, with, with Mike. Uh, and he's great, great dude. Great dude. Um, and great player. I just like watching him play. You know, and I thought he, he you know, he's a great asset for Utah this season. Um, but look at dude, people make mistakes. Like you get, it, it's, just, it's playoff basketball and you got to be so, so zoned in and sometimes emotions run high and you know how it goes from there. Yep. You got to stay within control. The players that do best are the ones that succeed in those moments and, uh, the other ones go home. Uh, NFL is about to start and I know you, had, you're, you're super interested in how this, this is all going to look, aren't you? Man, I I am so uh, keeping a close eye on this NFL season kickoff, which is next week, by the way. Which is crazy. Uh, which is crazy to think. You know, here we are a week away from the start of the NFL. By the way, twenty six teams at least for game for game one, week one, will not have fans. Um, twenty six out of the what thirty one teams? Thirty two. Um, yeah. Okay, so. That's a lot. So how I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to work. Are they going to pipe in noise like we've been seeing with Major League Baseball? Because for football, having a crowd really is 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 big part of the game, as you for know. For sure. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. The other thing is, like, these guys are still, they're not in a bubble. NFL is not in a bubble that chose not to do that. There's going to be a lot of traveling to and from uh, these cities to play the game. How are they going to avoid COVID? I'm very interested to see how this is going to work out. And to a point that you and I discussed, say an entire group gets COVID, cornerbacks, and all the cornerbacks get it, uh, all the offensive line get it. So that takes out an entire squad. you got to replace them with special teams? You know what I'm saying? Like, how does that even work logistically? Right, yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, even your special teamers are like, you know, it's like, oh, you're replacing your third string, your special teams offensive linemen guys. It's like, no, those they're, they, they're all in the same room. Like, these guys literally meet together. And so, unless there's, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, if, if an entire, because it's, it's, do you just forfeit? Like, it, it's it's kind of funny if it's like your wide receivers, because then it's like, oh, let's go let the cornerbacks play wide out. They can play both ways, and it's not ideal. But, like, you can still kind of function, and you're probably going to lose because they're not going to be nearly as good as your NFL caliber starting wide receivers obviously otherwise they'd be that but if it's like your o-line oh my god like you're a deep deep shit because your quarterback you can't you can't run the ball because you don't have an o-line to, to protect your quarterback and you can't protect your quarterback so i don't know what happens with that and i'm sure they have some contingency plans and, and i also wonder like what happens if a couple of guys get it and they're with, like on friday and they want to push the game back to to get a second round of testing to see if it's a false positive, which the NFL had a, a huge rash of false positives a couple of weeks ago uh, with a contamination in a lab in New Jersey. Like, how late can you push? Can you play on a Tuesday and then expect to play again the next Sunday? Like, there's a lot of contingency stuff that has to be thought of for NFL, and I'm fascinated too. But I'll say this on the travel part, and I think I might have even mentioned it on this pod before. I know I've mentioned it in other places. The travel doesn't concern me. It's when they're home that concerns me because the travel is all private. Like as long as the flight crew has been tested, which I'm sure they will, like they're, they're flying private. They're getting on a private bus. They're going to their hotel, which has been cleaned and sanitized, whatever. And they're probably at this point buying out the hotel so that it's only them there. They're not interacting with other people and they're going to be super strict about security. So your, your road groupies are not getting in. Uh, but what then happens when they come back home and again, they're with their wives, they're with their girlfriends, they're with their kids. Like these are adults and they, they interact with other people and they, they are, they live with people who interact with other people. And that's where the not being in a bubble is, is different than like, you know, I, for instance, us in the NWSL, like we went to these hotels and we're in a bubble, you know, basketball, they haven't had their families there. They're starting to get some now, um, which is great for like their mental health. But again, they're, they're isolated away. Like if your family's in the bubble and for the NBA, you're not going to work. 
Like it, it, the problem is with the NFL is like these guys, their families are still interacting with the outside world. And that's where my concern is with the NFL. Last thing in sports, back to the NBA real quick. You see this, Joe? The Nets hired Steve Nash. That feels like it's out of nowhere. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting move. I mean, great player and soon to be great coach. I, I think that's a good move for the Nets, honestly. Yeah, I do too. I mean, he's got the respect of guys like Kyrie and KD. The, the question is, you know, do you can be able to like have the discipline to work with that, those kinds of players? But I guess they're veterans. I don't know. We'll see. I just thought it was interesting, worth mentioning. Maybe we'll have stronger opinions on it next week. Look good, feel good, do good. Uh, look good this week, Wakanda forever. Uh, let's talk about Black Panther. And obviously, I think we were both, as the rest of the world was, absolutely stunned this past weekend to learn of the passing of Chadwick Boseman. He had apparently been fighting colon cancer for the last four years and never told anybody, made some of the most iconic films of all time while sick, and uh, unfortunately succumbed to that cancer over the weekend. I woke up uh, the morning after and was like, all right, I got to watch Black Panther. Uh, I'm the biggest movie dum-dum that has ever walked the face of the planet. I have not seen anything. Um, Black Panther has always been one that I've wanted to watch. And I just, I never, when I have free time, think like, oh, I'm going to watch a movie now. So I made a point. I was like, I'm watching it. That is a masterful film. And yeah, I'm so glad that I watched it. And I'm so mad at myself for not having watched it sooner. And it just goes... Like the representation piece is so important um, that black kids can look up and see a superhero and black adults can see a superhero on the screen that looks like them. And that matters. But there's so many themes within that film and, the, and some of the choices they made that I think are just even beyond that, which is important enough, just like absolutely brilliant and masterful. And um, from what I understand, a lot of them were actually driven by Chadwick Boseman himself. That's yeah, that's that's pretty uh remarkable. I mean, the fact that he was fighting this while filming this movie and a few others is just mind-blowing because uh, going going through what he had to go through, uh, uh chemo and the pain he was in and just the day-to-day routines and and by the way, and to make a movie is not easy, especially a physical one like that. Yeah, so I mean, you've it, been it on really you've is. been on movie sets. Like how how long are those days? I mean, dude, 16 hours, 18 hours. It just depends. I mean, everyone, it depends on what the, the days we're shooting. Uh, you know, each actor is, has their set days of exactly the scenes we're trying to shoot with them. Um, I don't, I wasn't on that set and, but I imagine those days were long because you have a ton of, of, of cast, uh, an ensemble, you know, there was a lot of green screen involved too. And a lot of, uh, CGI, so, you know, and the fight scenes and hair, makeup and, and wardrobe, there's, I, I can promise those days were not short. Um, and, and another point I wanted to say, and I'm not sure if you saw the movie 42, where, mm-hmm. where Chadwick portrays Jackie Robinson. Incredible I just film. recently saw that. Go see that. You have to see that. That was, that's my favorite film for him. Uh, it was, uh, it was recently on, recently on uh, TV over the weekend. Not only that, but they're actually. I I read uh, this week that they're putting that movie back into theaters, um, which is cool. So people who have not seen Forty Two, a biopic essentially about the life of Jackie Robinson, uh, uh, Major League Baseball player, uh, the first uh, African American to play Major League Baseball, Chadwick Boseman uh, portrays him phenomenally. Uh, I highly recommend that movie. Yeah, that movie is amazing. Um, That was really my first time ever seeing him. I saw that one in theaters when it was out the first time. That would have been probably like 2015-ish, 2016 maybe. No, uh, earlier than that. Earlier than that. that Actually, no, you're right. It was earlier than that because I think I was living in Kansas still. So that would have been 2012 or 2013. Yeah, yeah, one of the, yeah, around there. Um, And by the way, Black Panther was only two years ago. It was only 2018. It feels like it was a lot longer ago than that. But um, yeah, that film's phenomenal. He played uh, James Brown in a movie. He played Thurgood Marshall in a movie. Um, So he's played some of the most significant black uh, Americans of the last century and and done it all masterfully. Specific to Black Panther, what I love so much is a couple of things about that film. One, like the women are strong because they're strong. They're not put in like these stereotypical roles. They're just like, yeah, I'm the. She's the general of the army. Uh, you know, she's the smartest person in the whole, in all of Wakanda, and thus all of the world. Um, you know, it, with, with the different characters. You know, Angela Bass's character, the queen, is is just amazing in that film. Um, and so I think all of that is 
is really cool to see. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of cinematography um, people that are a lot, of, a lot about the cinematography that gets made because you actually see black characters shot and lit in ways that make them pop on screen in ways that when in films featuring white characters, the, everything's different. And so oftentimes they literally are faded into the background. And like, that's just because all the filmmakers are white and everybody's been white on Hollywood for so long. And so you get a black director and a black cast and, and literally black eyes. It shows the the power of perspective and, and you get a completely different experience. And there's just so much about it. And, and when you go specific to Bozeman, like Marvel wanted them to use British accents in that film. And he was like, no, I'm doing an African. Uh, and um, there's a lot of different African accents in there, which was a conscious choice as well. They wanted Wakanda to be like this conglomerate of Africa because they have the different tribes, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's just a lot of like detailed choices that if you start watching some of the interviews around the movie, it's really enlightening and it just shows the power. And I, I think those small things add up to why that film meant so much to so many people. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward. Uh, yeah. They've already started, uh, uh, you know, developing uh, Black Panther 2. So, right. you know, will they recast his role? Will they not? You know, will they obviously sh- show some sort of, um, um, you know, uh, honor to him? I imagine they will, of course. Um, so, you know, there's already there's already talks about how they're going to move forward with that, which will be uh, very interesting. Feel good this week. Look good. Feel good. Joseph, I bought a bike on Friday. Woo, look at you, little boy. Look <laughs> at you, a bicycle. What was that? I don't know. This is good. This is going to be good for you. You told me this news. I was very, very happy to hear. I have a bike. I probably ride once or twice a week. But I, I will say, with this bike out here in California, uh, Southern California, there are like bike trails all over the place. So it's easy to actually own a bike and, and want to hop on your bike and leave where you are. You're, I don't know if that's even possible. Yeah, I no, there's there a ton of where I am in the suburbs in Virginia, outside of DC, we actually have a, a fair amount of trails and I actually can take a trail basically all the way to work. Um, by my oh, gym nice. work, which is awesome. And that's why I bought it. I was like, I want to ride a bike to work every day. And so I made a commitment. I did it all three days this week that I had sessions all three mornings. Um, when we're done recording, I'm probably going to, hop back on and and head over to the gym and I'll work out. And so I figure if I ride it, you know, four times, five times a week round trip, it's five miles. That's two and a half miles there, two and a half miles back. If I do that four times, that's, that's 20 extra miles. Then like one long ride on the weekends to 10 to 20 miles there. Like that's some serious extra cardio that adds up over, over time that I think is going to be good for me and save on gas. Um, there are some downsides to not having your car. Like you can't go like, Oh, let me go grocery shopping. Um, but you know, you figure that part out. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm loving it so far. And I, I will tell a funny story though, on day one of getting the bike, that was, uh, not great. So get the bike, go pick it up around three o'clock. Let's say by four thirty. let's go, let's hop on this bike. Let's, let's go to the gym, go to the gym, get there beautiful first ride in. I was so happy because like I hadn't tested out all the trails yet. And I was like, oh man, this is gonna be great. I'm so excited to do this going to work every day. I'm working out, look out the window, downpour. (laughs) Uh, I checked the weather. I knew there was a chance of rain, but it was supposed to stop. Like it was supposed to start and then stop. And I figured like it'll rain while I'm at the gym. So I'm like, all right, downpour. I kind of expected this, but then it, it just didn't stop. It just kept raining and raining and raining. So now I'm sitting at the front like, yo, how am I about to get home? Because I don't want to ride through this rain on my brand new bike. And, uh, well, by the way, you're not going to melt. So, you know, but like it was possible. It was like downpour, downpour. And I didn't have like okay. rain jacket. Like I don't have, I didn't have some, you know, like some kind of glasses to keep the water out of my eyes. Like we we're, and also like fairly skinny tires. I have a hybrid. It's not a road bike, you know, but it, it's still like, it wasn't meant to be an all terrain, you know, it's not like I had a mountain bike that's, that's meant for gripping stuff. Like, I, and I, I don't know. It's brand new. I don't know how, how the traction is. And so finally it slows down and I'm like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm a bounce. I'm going to get out of here. I get out of the parking lot, get like 
half mile down the road and it just opens up again. And so I'm just getting drenched. I got home. I, that was on Friday. It's the next Thursday. I still don't think my shoes are dry from that. I literally like rang out my socks when I got home. It was, it was bad. It was. I love to see. I love to see you in distress. Shut up, Joe. <laughs> Last but not least, do good this week, Joseph. I have an announcement to make. Okay, I'm listening. Go for it. I have not been authorized to announce this by the rest of humans, not hashtags, but I'm going to do it anyway, because uh, we're probably announcing it by the time I actually publish on this podcast. Anyway, next Sunday, first ever humans, not hashtags event in Washington, D.C. It's going to be at Hook Hall. We are calling it Sweat Talk Vote, and it will be the first in a Sweat Talk Vote series that will go throughout the rest of the fall up to Election Day. And the idea is this. It's been proven by psychologists that if you go through something together there's a bond that's formed. And this is why, for instance, escape rooms are great for offices that want to bond together because they go through this experience. They have the shared experience and they become closer together. Well, three of us in the group are trainers. So we're like, hmm, maybe we make the shared experience a workout. So you come, you work out, and then we're going to have a panel discussion on race. We have two members of DC City Council already signed up. Uh, so we'll announce them a little bit later today. Uh, so we're really excited about that. I'm going to moderate the panel. And the vote part of it is in order to attend this, no, no cost, but you have to either be registered to vote and prove like, yes, here's my registration, or you have to register on site. And we're looking to partner with a voting organization. We're getting that all wrapped up to be able to vote on or to register to vote on site. So we're really excited about that. If you're not following humans, not hashtags on Instagram, uh, do that. It's at not hashtags. Uh, it's a, a group I founded with a couple of other people to drive uh, or to, to really tell stories and to connect people to say, hey, the fight that we're all in, these are not just hashtags on the internet, like Jacob Blake, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. These are people. There's people, they have families who love them, they were parts of their community, just like all of us. And if we can get that across and connect people in that way, I think we're gonna eventually be able to all take that positivity and that power and turn it into a better world. And so we're taking this offline, in person, uh, for, for this first event at Hook Hall. We'll have some other ones that are coming up later in the fall as well. Um, and then we're also going to do some digital ones. So Joe, we'll have to get you on a digital workout when we go to the digital game. Oh, that's awesome. And I love that you guys have a plan for this. And that's important as we kind of wrap up today is to have a plan, you know, uh, with, with our, with our vote, with our presidential vote here in November, you know, uh, if you, if you're, if you're involved with voting early, get that done. If you're going to go, if you're actually going to go to a poll, how are you going to get there? If you need to travel there, well, however it is, you know, the polling stations, if you're doing the mail-in ballots, make sure that's dialed in. So having a plan is important and uh, big ups to you guys uh, for doing this. Appreciate really cool. that. Yeah. And one thing to remember is we, we really have stressed, whether it's this podcast, humans, not hashtags. So many activists have said, register to vote, register to vote, register to vote. Registering doesn't win elections. Voting does. So make sure, like you were saying, Joe, you have a plan. It's not just about registering to vote. It's about actually exercising that right and voting uh, and educating yourself before you vote so you know exactly what you're voting for, not just at the top of the ticket, but on down ballot. That'll be our show for today. And they have cans of soup. And uh, we will see you next week. Uh, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. For Joe, I'm Craig. Deuces. This is Chasing Interesting. Chasing Interesting.